Hello, everyone. This is Belinda Carr, and you're listening to my podcast on building products and technology. As we know, the construction industry is ripe for disruption and automation. It has been reliant on manual labor and outdated tech for far too long, which has led to lagging productivity. Every week, I chat with a company that is exploring ways to tackle these issues. Today, I'm speaking with Tim Sims, real estate developer and researcher of Modular Construction. Thanks for joining us, Tim. Well, thanks for having me. I'm very, I'm really excited to be here with you, especially considering your thought leadership in this space. And um, these, these are the sort of connections that need to happen, you know, for our industry to get better. And so thanks for all you do. And thanks for doing this podcast and for having me on today. Thank you. That's very, very kind of you. We recently connected um, through LinkedIn. LinkedIn has been a wonderful resource to me reaching out to the the construction industry and real estate developers like yourself, people outside the DIY space, like the YouTube space. Um, And we have a lot of similarities in where our careers are heading right now. I've kind of entered the prefab industry and the modular industry, and you have been in that space for quite a while. You are very, very knowledgeable and you run your own company right now where you act as a consultant for different modular uh, building companies. Before we dive into that and your business, let's talk about you. How did you get into the construction field? And maybe even dive in deeper, how did you get into the modular field? Yeah, thanks for a great question. And I think it's uh, it's important for us to dive deep. And a lot of times our past tells a lot about what, you know, informs a lot of what we're doing right now and then also where we're headed. And uh, I think one of my favorite things is, and now my dad and I can laugh about it is uh, when he was, he was in construction when I was a teenager and young and it was always a struggle for our family. And I was like, Oh man, you know, our, I'm never going to be in construction. And, and this is so boring. And you're always, you know, dad's always coming home dirty and tired, you know, and all these things. I don't want to do anything, anything to do with that, you know? And, and then um, there were a couple of things that happened. There was a, uh, an older gal that was friends of the family that had rheumatoid arthritis and she did woodworking and um, and she couldn't do it anymore. So she hired me to help her. Uh, and so she would instruct me how to do, you know, refinish the, the furniture or rebuild it or repair it or whatever. So that was pretty interesting, you know, 13, 14 years old. And that was your first hands-on to- experience. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, my dad was always trying to get us to do different things. We had six kids in the family and he was always, you know, we were always tinkering with things with him. And, um, and that was my first like, quote unquote, professional experience in construction. Before that, I was kind of mowing lawns and doing odd jobs. And then, um, and then I went to work for a company called Birch Equipment while in high school, and it was all heavy construction equipment that was out for rent. And then we'd come back and I would clean it. So I got, I, you know, I got to kind of play with the equipment, um, even I think broke a few things along the way, but, but they were really patient with me and showed me, you know, how to operate it and clean it and maintain it, which was really great. Uh, but the real catalyst was um, there was a, a project in Hawaii. Um, I would have never considered going there, honestly, at that age. But uh, I was 18 and I uh, got invited by my uncle to go help with disaster relief in Hawaii after Hurricane Iniki in 1991. And so it was really an interesting time. I guess maybe I was 19 by that point. And and by the time I went and it was it opened my eyes to kind of the, the transformation that you can make very quickly uh, with good construction, uh, great construction techniques and, and, and crews and 
you could, you know, drive down the street and see something you accomplished. And I thought I found that very rewarding. rewarding. Yeah, exactly. Was and even though also I- the other added benefit of you helping people that were in desperate need because they had been affected and their lives had been uprooted. Right. It kind of brought to life. It's sort of like a dormant skill or or dormant need or or something like that, because I had taken I took shop class in school and home ex. So I you know could cook and bake when I was on my own. But I did take shop class, but I didn't really care about it that much. But here was this this kind of you know, bringing it to real life with real people that were devastated and and waiting could didn't have water didn't have a roof different things like that so that was that would really open my eyes to the benefit of be, having those skills i didn't really understand the commercial value of that until much later but but that was kind of the first big uh, story in my life that i tie tie my love of construction to now and then you had a very interesting career after that you worked at several different firms a japanese firm too and you worked at all different you you've been diving into different aspects of construction before you got into yeah, all over the place. yeah yeah it's uh one of the big things that happened uh was i started to do really well in construction and then i got hired by a lumber yard to be in outside sales and then i ended up doing a lot more uh, work with fiber cement siding. So then I got recruited by James Hardy to work with them, learned a ton about go-to-market strategy and product development uh, there. James Hardy had a great boss. And then after that, I went to work at a company called Nichiha, which is what you brought up, a Japanese company. And the interesting thing about a Japanese company is there's a lot of cultural nuance there, but there was this really big, there was also, which I enjoyed the cultural nuance, there was also this piece of modular, you know, they had this great experience and depth of knowledge with modular construction in Japan because it's just much more common there. And and so that really opened my eyes to the opportunity. I thought, well, how portable are these things to the United States, North America? And and so uh, I got to go over to Japan, tour some factories, talk to folks that were involved in prefabrication there. And then we really started to dive in as a company, um, and this was which really I really early on, right in 2010 or so. Oh yeah, so really early on, 2010 is when I started Nichiha, and then not long after that, I started working um, in the hospitality uh, space a lot. And then I started to see that's where you see a lot of modular compared to other segments. And then I started to see the alignment: hospitality, modular, Japan, Nichiha. So then uh, they they let me start up something. Uh, just we just called it the modular offsite division. And so I really worked with a lot of architects, DFMA architects and firms and and developers and hospitality brands, Starbucks, different ones that were uh, really either deep in the modular offsite prefab space or wanted to be deep in that space. And so we all kind of rolled up our sleeves together and worked on solutions that that was really, really fun. So that's a lot of hands-on experience. Like you had a different kind of construction experience than you went into marketing. And then this job came along that kind of pulled you into the modular space. I doubt that you you thought that your career would go down this path. You might have, I, I'm not sure. Did you think that you would? No, clue. no. no not at all. No. I don't know if you like, there's this movie called Bugs Life and in it, there's a see a need, fill a need, which is a very basic concept when we watch it with them when the kids were little. And uh, I, I, I would see a need 
And then I would make a pitch, especially a Nichiha, very good culture for, um, you know, internal uh, entrepreneurs, I call it, um, which which I think there we need to really cultivate people like that. And it really gave me an opportunity, a platform, very supportive uh, management in making these new divisions, these new products, these new lines come together uh, to meet a need in the market. And, and that was without that kind of support. It, it probably would, I wouldn't have been working on those sort of things. So you said when you started off uh, in the modular space at Nietzsche, they were mainly focused on hospitality. You mean like larger hotels and mm. larger projects, not just a Starbucks? Is this is Starbucks a, an industry that you identified mm. with potential to like turn that building into a modular building? Well, you know, nowadays, and and looking back, I, I a lot of times I see things and I go, well, that could be modular, that could be modular. In fact, for a while I use it as a hashtag, that should be modular. And and so some of these buildings just kind of lend themselves to that that kind of uh, mode. But originally I started actually in, out in a residential there, and then ended up in commercial. And then there's a, a group there called the National Brands. Um, team and they work directly with brands like Hilton and Marriott and Starbucks and all these different uh, global or national brands in order to help them develop prototypes and then and then go to market with uh, with uh, rollout and so that was that was really my first exposure Belinda with uh, something programmatic you know where it was a repeat of the same thing over and over again which then you automatically think okay this should be prefab this should be modular and so it, it was just kind of a a confluence so by 2015 2016 we kind of had a plan uh that that's still in place that's still being executed to make sure that there's a place for a, a way to do those products on a modular or prefabricated type uh, scenario and so, and I think that building product manufacturers should really be looking at that and developers should really be working with building product manufacturers to come up with solutions even if their product isn't installed in the factory it's still if it's installed on site you still need different kind of detailing and the mate lines and plate lines and all those things need a lot of attention for a lot of reasons so you've been you have talked to so many companies in the modular space and obviously clients too what's the big hurdle, I'm sure there are lots of hurdles, but the big hurdle that you see in kind of educating clients on the importance of adopting modular construction, is it, what's the hesitation? Well, I think, you know, you could say it's easy to say it's mindset, you know, but, but really there, every product has to go through an adoption um, natural progression. Yeah. And it's so you all and messy your, and people are exactly yeah. so you have expensive. your visionaries and you have your early adopters and then you have your early majority. And, and there's certain things that have to make that happen. For instance, um, when you look at different things like glue lamp beams or engineered wood products, those things were moving very slowly until there was a resin breakthrough to make something that was weather resistant. So that those projects, those, products wouldn't have to be completely covered during construction to keep them dry. So that was a huge catalyst and, and it was able to be used. Now it's very ubiquitous. And so um, everything needs a catalyst and it needs a progression of credibility. So you need all those case studies, you need all the documentation and testing and all those things so that there's a high level of trust. Even if those these a lot of these modes have been around for a long time, 
like wood frame volumetric, it still hasn't really progressed beyond a very fractional percentage of the mar of market share, especially in residential. So what will it take to get there is the, is, uh, you, the, the adoption of certain code aspects, um, the way that capital is structured, because one of the big challenges is in order to get something made modular, oftentimes, almost all the time, the developer has to prepay for the everything before it even leaves the factory. So you might have you know, three or four million dollars sitting out there before before anything reaches the job site. So that's the, the financing is the challenge. Um, and but but fortunately, there are new financial vehicles and other things like that being innovated to make room to 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 add and give lift yeah. to modular and offsite. And uh, and I think it's really making a difference. The new ICC uh, code that a modular building institute collaborated on that's another thing you know that that's a a templatized um code book to really help developers and and architects and code officials get their arms around prescriptive construction for modular applications those are some of the things that have held back the industry and uh, the the some things that are helping it is this kind of maybe change in how the capital stack uh, is structured. There's a change in that a adoption and of code and the ability to do uh, in factory third party uh, inspections and kind of more acceptance of that, especially during COVID. So that COVID actually helped that. That's and I was just going to say that. I mean, as bad as and as painful as the whole the last two years have been for the construction industry, it has encouraged them to look at alternatives and start taking more risks and seeing what else is out there and them realizing that we can't keep doing things the same way. Something right. has to change because it the whole system was so fragile. It was, And I feel like everyone is suddenly accepting of module, accepting of new materials and new ways of building. And you've probably seen that too. Yes, I have seen that. And another thing that speaks to the viability of the space is there's a lot of uh, consolidation, M&A funding, uh, innovation funds being set up, not only by, by factories and in institutional investors, but also strategics like major national building materials brands are, are taking a strategic position, whether it's since a debt round or even, part, even equity or convertible uh, uh, financial means that they, they in, are investing in, you know, Generative design, factories, um, yeah, all the all the sort of things that have to go to help us get from these little incremental changes to a step change to a sea change in the in the built environment. And it's people with the money that are, have finally started seeing value in all this stuff and seeing because obviously the return on investment is one of their major concerns, and they are finally starting to see the potential in it and starting to see a good return on investment in the long run, which is why they're throwing money into the space right now. But I, the last time we spoke, and you, you brought up a very important point about knowledge sharing within the industry. There's so much going on right now, so much excitement, so much innovation. But you have noticed that there isn't a lot of sharing of knowledge within, uh, like amongst developers amongst um, modular building modular builders yeah i i think that the 
probably three or four years ago, it was even a, even tighter than it is right now. And what I'm noticing is now, uh, just in the last couple of months, I've noticed this, where we're seeing more and more openness. For instance, uh, you, we're seeing a collaboration of, say, a logistics firm, a set and stitch firm, a factory, an architect, or an engineering uh, and, and marketing firms, all basically creating a suite for uh, delivery of these projects for they're going, they're going much more integrated because with the one of the challenges in the industry is a lot of folks believed, or maybe they did have some sort of secret sauce, but generally there isn't a lot of secret sauce in construction. They, a lot of them believe that I can't, I can't have people here because it might, you know, they might steal my idea or whatever. And we've seen a lot of that. And, and we see it even in just site built construction, but especially when you're dealing with the manufactured product, I, I understand you feel like you have something special, special because you have yeah. all these people working there. You've invested all this money. You have this building, you have all these trucks, uh, but it, but nothing is really that secret. So uh, what what what's needed in the industry is more of that sharing and not like you said the knowledge transfer uh, between even between factories, but definitely amongst manufacturers of building components that go into these sub assemblies or these bulk assemblies or all of it together um, with the with the developer to really find out what the problems are uh, to solve for those things and to to make the experience better because there not every job that just could have done modular goes well. In fact, yes. it's been well documented that the last few years there's been some trouble. So you know, some challenging, you know, uh, modular builds that have actually taken longer than site builds and stuff like that. So, so it's not a cure-all. What helps it become more of a solution is when more people are working on it better together. And when, when more people, that are, un that are unrelated companies come together to solve a problem, it's kind of amazing. So what I've noticed lately is uh, a lot of times clients will ask me to take them, say, can you introduce us to factories? Can you take us to modular job sites? We're trying to get to know the space. These are building product manufacturers. And really in the last year, there's been more of a welcoming. Yes, please come check out our factory. Please. They're opening their doors to you. Exactly. And, and it's not just me. I think a lot of it has to do with people like podcasts like this, yeah. Dave Cooper, Audrey Grubesic, people that are basically showcasing what's inside these factories. So now it's kind of like all bets are off because everyone's seen it already. So why not just come visit? Why not get ideas? Why not roll up our sleeves and, and work on these, you know, flashing uh, detail problems that we're having or or uh, set and stitch um, you know the 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 mate lines on these certain kinds of job sites when you're dealing with steel construction all those things can be solved but if one person has a less chance of doing it than you know multiple people that are experts so you kind of touched on it already over the last uh, two years you have started your own company and you are advising different clients on ways to build better and one of the one of the things you do is kind of take them to different modular factories around the states and is is knowledge sharing and education the the primary role that you're in right now yeah you know i thought i would be doing actually more say market size reports or go to market strategy and stuff like that which which i love to do but i found is that the real need is for the the belly to belly um you know gritty deep dive conversations where 
the you know manufacturer or the developer and the the architect the engineer the building envelope engineer the the uh, factory foreman and uh and the the woman who you know directs everything on the floor in terms of waterproofing or you know whatever the case is all of them are in the same room talking about these things way i never thought i would be coordinating stuff like that but number one that's what i'm doing and number two is fun and number three people are willing to do it and i think maybe if i was to do that you know if i were to do that three years ago or four years ago it, it might have been a lot harder to get people together like that in the factory environment or on the job site so do you reach out to companies and or do they approach you if, when they are interested in modular construction? Yeah, it's mostly outreach and LinkedIn has been, been pretty instrumental with that. And so people will see just some of the stuff I work on and then they'll just send me a message. And that's how these relationships have started. And I think there's a huge a need for that. Um, I, I gave the maybe like five before years ago, advancing prefab in Dallas, um, I presented and talked about how, you know, companies A, B, and C told me initially, yes, let's get everyone in the same room. We'll roll up our sleeves and we'll solve problems together. And I was like, great, that's exactly what we want. And then I never could get people together. <laughs> and so uh, I was just like, do people really want innovation or are they just kind of in their own world? Well, I think they really want innovation. Now, now it's a really great time to to get people together to connect and and I guess um, I guess that's that's not the role I started out to yeah. do, uh, but it, it's what people need, and I'm having fun doing it. So, in addition to modular construction, you've also been diving into mass timber, engineered wood. How close of a role does that play with offsite modular construction, in your opinion? It's pretty huge, and I think we need to. At least I try to remind myself that mass timber is a is a fairly established technology. Uh, perhaps the applications are what have changed. So, you know, glue lambs, engineered wood products, and I'll give you an example, Chase Banks, uh, on several hundred of their banks, they use a glue lamb, which we would normally use vertically as a beam, right? They use uh, glued laminated timbers flat, four foot panels, 60 feet long, on the roofs of their banks, they were kind of a shed roof modern design. And that's just that was just a glue lamp, you know, and that can be engineers have no problem with sizing those. And, and then, of course, the factories have no problem with making those. They're pretty easy to ship. Very established technology. What we're seeing is a difference in the applications. Number, number one, we're seeing a lot more use as uh, uh, floor panels and roof panels and wall panels. Um, and, and that each one of those has to be engineered for the building and the application, which is one of the roadblocks or one of the, the constraints. And then uh, the other thing we're seeing uh, some of is a little bit dabbling in single family construction, which I think is where the market has to go, just like Gulam's engineering wood products would be much smaller if they hadn't gained huge adoption in residential construction. So what, what needs to happen with that to make it really draw it forward is some sort of universal span tables, just like we've done with engineered wood products. You know, 90% of the time with glue lambs or engineered wood products, the person at a lumberyard counter can size them out of a catalog, no problem. And they don't necessarily have to go any, through any kind of like one-off engineering. 
once once mass timber gets to that point for wall and floor panels, uh, then then it can start to be. And I think the easiest place to do that is in res single family or or townhome type construction. Then you have, uh, you have an interest. I'm sorry, but you you have an interesting theory about that. What you just mentioned, you said that once you see adoption by the single family home industry, that's when it's it proves that it you can see its value or it's proven that it's a good it's a worthy product with a lot of potential why is that is it just the scale the number of homes that we build number of single family homes that we build yeah and i know the ratio is going to change over the next couple of years the ratio of uh, residential construction spending to commercial industrial um, but uh, it residential is always larger and uh, most products in the commercial world get kind of mired around the three to five percent market share and kind of max out with that and and it's because uh the the competition level is just a lot different and and the budgets are bigger they're they're much more per, per square foot and commercial when you get to single family uh things that what you're competing with is a lot more so if you can break into this if your product category can break into single family then you know it has that, like you said, that value because um, because now it's but a it's tighter and right. you, you have to prove it on a very la much larger scale than you would at commercial. That's very interesting. Right. That's part of crossing the chasm to that early majority is you have to you have to get some maybe not price but cost combined cost compression and another catalyst to really make it to that that early majority. And uh, when you can do that in single family, it's a bigger market. Um, it's also smaller format. So in commercial, a lot of times you need much larger format products. So you can actually uh, be, uh, it can be a really interesting market for what previously was viewed as a commercial assembly or product uh, going into single family residential. We've seen that work really well over the last 30 or 40 years with certain products. It just, it has to get to the point where uh, any, any, product category coming into residential has to get to the point where it's fairly uh, prescriptive. Mm -hmm. And until it's prescriptive, uh, the only thing in mass timber that is prescriptive is if you were to do a nail laminated timber, because it's just a standard nail nailing pattern. Um, as soon as you start introducing adhesive, you know, glues and resins and stuff like that, then you have a lot different um, uh, challenges. A CLT, uh, dowel laminated timber and um, and well, I guess those two would be the biggest ones that need to be engineered pretty much for every project. So, based on your research and the people you've you've talked to, do you see a timeline to mass adoption of modular construction and mass timber by the residential or single family home industry? My, my... I do. So I do have a viewpoint on that. One thing I, I have to always remind myself too, and I find, I find myself maybe talking too much about, but all of these are just building products, you know, whether it's a, it's just a widget, that's all it is. And it has to go through the kind of normal progression. And typically uh, terminal market share with building materials is probably between like 13 to 15%. Some products really go are overachievers like you know james hardy is closer to 20 percent market share probably a closing term uh, approaching terminal for them so so we're talking mass market adoption we're talking 13 to 15 percent uh market share and and sometimes you have to look at more at spending than than square footage but uh i can see it getting to that point 
in 10 years, I don't know how it would get there sooner. Now, just because we, in order to go through and get all the, uh, say, span tables um, uniform and approved, and then then there's some 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 uh, fire. Of course, with single family residential, you don't have all the fire testing challenges. Um, but you have you have the you have to jump a few hurdles, and then we need more. We need a lot more capacity for um, yeah. to meet what would be needed in residential. So. That we probably need, you know, 20 more plants to be able to get to that point, or 10 huge ones to be able to get to the point where we could um, get get costs low enough to attack the market and then have enough to supply it. So, speaking of suppliers, do you see yourself using all your knowledge, all this knowledge you've gained throughout your career, towards becoming a supplier? setting up your own factory, either a mass timber factory or a modular construction factory, setting up something like that in the States? I do. You know, I, I really love helping clients. I find this need, however, to, to build something. I started out as a builder. I love to have my tool bags on. I love real estate development. I love building homes. Of course, we need a, a lot more of the right kind of housing. We probably have enough bedrooms in the U.S., but just yeah. we don't have enough of the right housing. So what I'd love to be able to do is to still have my tool bags on or work on projects and be a builder again. And I'm working on a few things that could lead to that right now. And, and it's, uh, it's exciting because a lot of folks talk about things, but they, um, they aren't able to be in a position where they can, they can actually build a physical product or something like that. So I'm hoping to be able to, if I get, get the ability to do that, I hope I can honor it and, and do something great. That's very exciting. Well, I hope we meet in person sometime soon and maybe even tour some modular factories around the States, maybe abroad too, and produce some content to share on YouTube and LinkedIn and other social media channel, uh, channels because this is, I think there's so much potential in the modular offsite prefab industry. Everyone is like, everyone's diving in so deep and I, they're, they're so passionate. I meet so many passionate people in this industry that can really help make a difference. And I would love to share their stories, learn from them, and just help them gain more uh, recognition. I think what you're doing is great, sharing those stories, because we just, uh, a lot of times, one of the challenges in the industry is just straight up awareness, you know, and, and then also to have the 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 teaming up of you and DPR and you have your great knowledge and then they have this platform of construction and 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 uh, I think those coming together because okay I'm not only talking about it but I'm we're also doing it yeah. you know and and I think we just I'm one of the talkers I guess but uh, we I you know we just need more doers so to have that combination I think is great and I think we're going to see a lot more of that sort of collaboration in the future and I'm super happy super and happy you that. kind of touched on it I absolutely love building the YouTube I love building the YouTube channel the journey has been wonderful but I've been missing that hands-on experience that me actually feeling like I'm making a difference in the real world I'm able to share knowledge kind of like you through the podcast through the videos but I'm waiting for the, I'm, I'm trying to get to the next step. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, this seems like a natural progression and we're both kind of working on it. And, and I think that no matter what, as long as we're all trying to make the industry stronger, um, even if it's not very much from our own viewpoint together, it adds up to a lot. 
Yeah, that's a very good point. Well, thank you so much, Tim, for sharing all that information with us. And like I said, hope to meet you and collaborate on some other videos pretty soon. Oh, it's going to happen. I look forward to it too. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Tim.